You, you may have noticed we don't have a lot of guest speakers at this church. And it's not because we don't like guests. It's not that. We, we have pastors who preach. So it's, and, and there's not often opportunities because we don't have a Sunday night service. We don't have a Wednesday night preaching opportunity. So Sunday mornings is pretty rare that we would invite somebody. But this, this speaker today, her and her husband, we've been friends. Nicole and I have been friends with them for almost 25 years. And in ministry, it's, I have a lot of friends in ministry, but not friends like this. There's times when you meet somebody that your hearts automatically real, you realize you're my people. Does it, does it make sense to you? You know what I mean? You realize that your, your mission, your vision in life is aligned. Aligned. So when we went to St. Paul, Minnesota, we were at a church on the northeast side of town. And then uh, Laurel was the youth pastor at a church kind of on the southwest side of town. And they were in an African-American church. Our church was predominantly white. And we wanted to... We wanted to do some reconciliation physically, not just talk about it, do ministry together. So we started doing that. And we started with meeting together, getting to know each other, sharing meals together, knowing our churches. Then we had each other speak. Then we did worship services together. Then we pioneered and helped other churches come together with camps. And it was awesome. I mean, we just, we just our hearts were together. But I want to tell you a little bit more about Laurel, and you could come out now. I mean, I don't want to embarrass her with all this, but the other thing that always has impressed me is, now, now Joshua is a minister in his own right and Bible teacher and got theology degrees and all that, but then as, as Laurel, she was youth pastor in the church, but before that, she'd been a young life director on the, on the high school campus, you know, worked at YMCA. Then after that, I know it's a long list, so I don't want to, I don't want to take up all her time talking about all her accomplishments, but then... She was the campus pastor at Bethel University in St. Paul for 14 years. And then there was a point where um, your heart is collaboration. Yeah. And her ministry, she spoke so many venues, so many platforms. You know, God has opened so many doors for her to speak as in a unique way to people's lives that she's, she now, that's what you do full time. Training, is. leadership, you know, public speaking in ministry. You were at Asbury just recently, but that's not just higher education. You speak women's, con- I mean, it's amazing. So I'm excited for you to meet my friend Laurel and please also talk to Joshua later, but God bless us today. Love you. Yeah. Let's praise the Lord, everybody. Let's give God praise. Hallelujah. God is worthy of praise and honor and glory. And we worship him today that we get to be his children that we get to have a glimpse of heaven, that we get to walk with one another, that we get to love each other well, that we have a privilege to be able to know his word, but not just know his word, but then to give his word to people. Um, I am grateful to be in the house of the Lord. I'm grateful to be saved. Anyone else in here grateful to be saved? Have a glimpse of what it is to be saved? Because I grew up in church, but I wasn't saved always. I knew church politics. I knew the stuff to do. I was aware of my sin, but I was not aware of salvation. Jesus was always just past my fingertips. I knew all the things that I did not know, but I knew more than anything that I needed Jesus in a deeper way than I knew him. And so I'm grateful to be in this house today and with Dennis. Our years of youth ministry were so important. I think I will always be a youth pastor at heart. So if I'm looking at y'all today, it's because y'all are my people right? Youth and young adults will always, you will always be my heart. You will always be my people. 
what I'm seeing, and y'all forgive me if I'm crying, but the, the revival that I'm seeing in the world is happening with your generation. There is something happening in the world. So when the devil tries to tell you nobody else your age is following Jesus, when you feel like you're struggling to follow Jesus, when people mock you and walk away, none of my family, very few of my family members are saved. My husband's family is not saved. We know what it is like to be in the midst of unsaved family. We know that there is a cross that we have to bear. But I'm telling y'all, it is worth it. It is worth it to hold on to the one that will never leave you, who will never mock you because of the mistakes that you've made, who will never tell you you're too far gone and there is no way to get back. I'm telling you all, long after high school's over and y'all go off to college, you hold fast to Jesus. I'm speaking to you now more of an, as an auntie and a mama, okay? So you're like, okay, Pastor Laurel's really our auntie. You're right. I'm saying to y'all, as things get harder, if there's a darker world, there will always be a brighter Christ. Darker world, brighter Christ. Darker world, brighter Christ. And how many of you know right now, the world is getting darker. It feels like we're feeling these birth pangs. We're seeing the darkness of things as we're seeing the convergence of power. We saw, we've seen shootings as we did at Michigan State. And at the same time, we saw the revival at Asbury. And I was just there at their chapel, speaking in chapel on Monday. My heart is burning with a passionate desire for the church to be on fire for the one who gave his life for us. There is no time for us to be apathetic or complacent or to shrug our shoulders at the sacrifice of what Jesus Christ has done for us. There is no other way. And we know that the world will wax cold for unbelief. But today as I preach this message, who do you say that I am? Each and every one of you needs to have an answer for who you say Jesus is. Is he a historical figure? Is he someone that once existed or is he the savior of the world? Is he the one that stepped out of eternity and into your existence, into your brokenness, into your addiction, into your family mess, into the places of your life? And did he speak a word to you as he did the woman at the well when he loved her enough to tell her the whole truth? Here's the reality. I don't know about you. But I know where I was and I know the difference between being religious and a denominational girl who knew the things to do on second and fourth and first and third Sundays and one who bowed her knee. And how many of you know he's looking for disciples? He's looking for the sold out ones. He's looking for the ecclesia. He's looking for the called out ones who come hell or high water will not deny his name. And I want to tell you, there will be a time we have been blessed We've been covered, we've been shepherded, we've been sheltered in this nation. But I guarantee you that if we don't make a decision today, may the whole world hear it. If we don't make a decision today who we will serve, we will not be far from where Europe is today. We will deny him like Peter did. And all of us want to say we're not like Peter. Yes, we are. We don't want to talk about Jesus with our family. We don't want to be embarrassed by our friends. Listen, I was not embarrassed when I was out in the streets or drinking or doing whatever I was doing in college. I'll be doggone if I'm going to be embarrassed by the one who stepped out of eternity to save my whole wretched soul. Can I get an amen and a hallelujah for someone in this house? If you didn't get it by now, for all you introverts, you got the wrong person. For all you who are scared, just put your seatbelt on. You're going to be all right. Number one. Number two, yes, I am African-American, which means I'm going to preach this here word. Number three, 
Y'all know we don't have time to waste. Y'all are my family. Do you all know that if the blood of Jesus, how many of you have said yes to Jesus Christ? That makes us more family than the unsaved family members in my family. So when I come over for Easter and I ring your doorbell, don't act like you don't know me. I'm going to bring my Tupperware bowls and everything else. Don't act like there's not a seat at the table. Y'all better put a seat at the table. Y'all, we got to love each other well. And there's so much that's trying to tear us apart. Y'all see it? There's an attack on men in the culture. Young men, you better stand and roll your shoulders back and be like David who worshiped and warred for the kingdom of God. You hear me? Don't ever be afraid to be fully a man of God who knows how to stand on your own two feet. The devil is a liar and he has an agenda and your name is on his agenda list. But he's under your feet already. He's already a defeated foe. He's simply a liar that knows his time is short. Women of God, you better never compromise your values ever in life. I don't care what size you are. I don't care. The only thing I've ever bought from Abercrombie and Fitch that has fit me is a pair of socks. Let me help you. Let me help you. It's never about the size of your body. It's about the magnitude of your heart. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is worthy of praise. And a man who wants a real woman will see the spirit of God on you. So you better guard the spirit of God that is on you. I hope I'm talking to the church today. I hope I'm talking to really Holy Ghost folks today. Because this is the urgency of the hour that we are in. So I'm grateful to be in this house. The spirit of the living God is in this house. The Holy Spirit is in this room. And he's seeking our hearts and he's seeking us to be passionate about him. So I'm grateful to my friend and my brother, Dennis, to Nicole. Yeah, when you've got people that you can walk with who will slog with you come hell or high water. When you've got friends that won't leave you when stuff gets hard. When you've got friends who will pray with you and you can be honest with, that's when you know you have real friends. How many of you have real friends? If you don't pray for them, God, send me real Holy Ghost filled people in this season. People that will walk with us and pray with us and fight for our marriage and pray for our kids and tell us the truth when we're failing. Pray and ask God for those kind of people in your life because you're going to need them. Amen. So thank you, D, for being that kind of brother to us. Listen, I want to start by telling you a story. Some of you have heard it, but it's one of my favorite things as I start to launch into this message. Who do you say that I am? It says, he was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant. He grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never lived in a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. When he was only 33, the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his garments, the only property he ever had on earth. 
When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race. I am well within the mark when I say that of all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of humankind on this earth as much as this one solitary life. What I just read in your hearing is a poem by a man named James Allen Francis. And it is simply entitled, One Solitary Life. It is, of course, written about the person of Jesus Christ. But what is the author getting at? What's his real point of the poem? Well, you heard him say it. And every time I read it, here's what he's saying to me. Out of anyone who has ever lived or shall ever live, past, present, or future, ever touched the planet with his or her presence, ever walked, spoke, taught, healed, ruled, reigned over any group, over any nation, over any body of people. Jesus Christ is by all historical, cultural, and even popular accounts, the most controversial, challenging, impactful, and influential individual of all time. The number of books written about Jesus in the last 2,000 years are estimated to be in the tens of thousands, with new books and articles and journals being written and added daily. Many have been written by believers, theologians and pastors and missionaries. Others have been written by skeptics, historians, agnostics, Atheists, creative writers, poets, comedians, children's book authors. His character has been made a caricature, poked and prodded by pens and pencils, sketched and erased and torn and redrawn on paper. In fact, I have some pictures that you can, that you can all can put up there of all of these images. Those are just some of the images of Jesus. He's been written and rewritten in the psyche of humankind and some laugh at him. Some bring tears just thinking about him. Some honor him. Some are angered by him. There is frustration or awe at the mention of his great name. Friends, popular media has been no less interested and shall I say no less impactful in the ways that they have weighed in on Jesus PBS, CNN, the History Channel, YouTube, GodTube have all produced special after special about Jesus, some on an annual basis. Most recently, American filmmaker Dallas Jenkins' worldwide wonder, The Chosen, a television drama based on the life of Jesus of Nazareth, in its first season was the top crowdfunded TV series or project in the world with millions of viewers in its first season alone. Facebook, Twitter, emojis, video games, popular cartoons like The Old Simpsons and other children's shows have all been fascinated, tearing bits and pieces of Jesus and putting it in front of popular view, but all putting his deity safely away lest somebody get saved while they watch it. Newsweek, Time, U.S. News and World Report, Popular Mechanics, Freakishly, the old playboy, even had Jesus on the cover. He is the darling of the art world, 
not seen for 2,000 years, but only imagined, but he's been recreated thousands and thousands of times from his immaculate conception to his stable birth, to his boyhood, calling, temptation, teaching, healing, betrayal, death, and resurrection. His person fascinates, dominates, radiates, confuses, and consumes the entire world. You're not sure? Go out in the public and mention the name of Jesus. Not God. God's not hard for people to imagine. God can be anything. I want you to speak Jesus. The name of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus the Christ, the anointed one and his anointing. And I want you to see the kind of response that you get. And despite all this, my friends, the popular world still doesn't know what to make of him. Opinions never cease. They didn't cease in his day, and opinions don't cease in ours. Look at Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. It says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these teachings, these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. And he could not do any miracles there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Dear brothers and sisters, I have been in a lot of churches over 30 years. And I shudder to say this, but I'm amazed at the lack of our faith as Christians. Because it's a miracle that I'm standing before you even saved. Does anybody realize that the greatest miracle in your own life is that you're actually saved? How many people would have known you way back then and said, I'm, I'm shocked if they're saved. I'm stunned. I'm gobsmacked. Why? Because the human flesh is so full of itself, so entrenched in sin. How is it that a God that we cannot see stepped out of eternity, was born out of the womb of a virgin, came, walked and lived, did miracles. And 2000 years later, even through his Holy Spirit, he sits and he fills people like you and me. How is it possible? Because there's a difference between counterfeit Christianity and the power of a true and living God. Dear friends, he's either loved or hated. He's either repulsive or he's celebrated. Some are apathetic while 2.2 billion people and counting serve him worldwide. Millions have died for him today. And hear me, people are dying for him right now in this very hour. In places like Nigeria, you look it up. You follow things like open door. People right now are being dragged out of churches and being told you either convert or you die. But there's something that happens when God rises up on the inside of you and people are saying, go ahead and take my life on this side for whatever you take, he's simply gonna raise up on the other side. There's a courage that is required for the Christian in this world where you need the power of Jesus Christ. Here's the reality. Some call him a myth, 
I call him savior. I call him Lord. I call him master. I call him keeper. I call him sustainer. I call him friend. Here's my question for you. Who do you say that Jesus is? You. You take a moment. Who do you say that Jesus is? Don't think about it. Don't try to get theological. Who is he? Who is he to you? In the midnight hour, when all is going poorly and when all is going well, who is he to you? Is he savior? Is he master? When he calls you, do you say, yes, sir, I will go. I'll go to the places no one else wants to go if your Holy Spirit won't leave me. Who is he to you? It's not a small question. It's not new because some have asked it worldwide, even in opinion polls. It is asked, I dare say, by people all over, and it will be asked of you and I. So I want us to go to Matthew 16 today. And I want us to look briefly at verses 13 through 18. And I want to remind you that when we read the word of God, I want us to read in portions of scripture, not just verses. Verses are great sometimes for memorization. But when you don't know the context of the word of God, it is really easy to misuse the word. Matthew 16, 13 through 18, it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he's asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And now I say that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Herein was the birth of the church. So I want to focus on two things in the few minutes I have with you. I want to focus on the what. Someone say what. what? And the why. why. The what, what? And the why. why. The what and the why of following Jesus, which is so central to how we will answer when we're asked. Scripture tells us in 1 Peter 3.15, to in your hearts always set Jesus Christ apart as Lord and always give a reason for the hope that lies within you. But do so with gentleness and respect so that when people revile you, when people mock you for your faith, they will be confused and they will be corrected for their conduct. Some say, some say that you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Jeremiah. These were the things that they knew about him. These were popular speculations. And here's the reality. They weren't wrong for what, he, what they said. Because the ideas that were known about him came from Jewish teaching. And according to Jewish teaching, they expected that Elijah would return before the Messiah. Thus imagining that maybe Jesus could be Elijah. As a teacher and a prophet, his style resembled Jeremiah. But in no way did they imagine that he fit the image of King David. And therefore, they had no idea that the Messiah was standing before them. Who do you say that I am? Why would Jesus even ask such a question? This is the why, friends. This is the motivating factor. Because you've saved me. 
Because you are who you are, I give you glory and I worship you. Not because of what I think I know, but because of what you have made known to me. How many of you know that you can articulate and amass all kinds of intellectual information about God and still never know him for yourself? I spent 14 years in one Christian higher education institution and in many others that I still do. And it is astounding to me that we can be intellectually proficient and spiritually deficient. It means we can intellectually get all this stuff we think we know about God and then we can tell people how much we know about God. All the while, we're walking far and farther and farther away from God. It is brilliant and it is wonderful to have advanced degrees. I have them. But if my life does not speak Jesus, if I cannot embrace you, if I can't love you, if I can't pray for you, if it doesn't make me weep that there are children around the world sold into sex trafficking, if it doesn't break our hearts, the kids are dying by gun violence in their own schools. Something's wrong. Something's wrong with my heart. If you and I can't be family because we represent different ethnic groups. Something's wrong if you can't be my child, if I can't be your auntie. Something is wrong when we can't lock eyes with each other and you can't say, auntie, something's going on and I can't stop what I'm doing to pray for you because I know the assignment of the devil trying to come against you. Something's wrong when we don't love each other enough to fight for each other, to fight for the church, to pray for each other, when we let cultural things divide us. Something's wrong. But when we love each other enough to say, listen, come hell or high water, we need to link arms and we need to pray for each other because there's a wind that's blowing and that wind that is blowing is not the Holy Ghost. There's a fierce fire that is blowing and we need to ask Jesus to walk with us. Listen, we need to walk together. And when Peter spoke the truth about Christ, a truth that according to Jesus was not revealed by human intellect. His words agreed with the prophets, but it revealed so much more than the prophets. When Peter spoke and said, you are the Christ, there was a knowing. There was something, a boldness that came out of him. It shot out of him like a cannon. You, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the one that was prophesied. Many of you don't know what that meant for Peter to stand up and say, I know who you are. And I want y'all to think about that when people are coming against you. I know who you are, Jesus. Not because somebody else told me, but because I experienced you for myself. Though Peter spoke with confidence this truth about Jesus, this wasn't the end of, Jesus, of, of his faith formation. And it didn't prevent Peter from stumbling. How many of you know that you can have deep revelation about God and still make some mistakes sometimes? How many of you are like, ooh, I made some mistakes before I even walked in here. I'm making mistakes right now, and I'm just sitting here trying to be quiet. (laughs) Here's the reality. That's the reality of our faith formation, and I want y'all to hear that because some of us act as though the moment that we got saved, we'll never make mistakes again. If we ever ask a question or if we ever doubt or we ever struggle with God, somehow we've lost our salvation. No, this is the high and low. This is the roller coaster ride of living in a broken world while we're holding on to Jesus. We will make mistakes, but when we're quick to repent and quick to hold on to God, things will change. Here's the reality that Matthew talks about in chapter seven. He says, everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name, didn't we drive out demons? And in your name, didn't we perform miracles? 
Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. You see, you can do all the stuff. But this was one of the primary things that Jesus rebuked the disciples, the, the, not only the disciples for, but the Pharisees for. They had an intellectual assent as he said, you draw near to me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Y'all, you can do all the churchy things you want. You can be the youth pastor. You can be the senior pastor. You can be the head of the board. But if you don't obey his commands, if you don't love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor, who is your neighbor? Your neighbor isn't just who looks like you, smells like you, cooks like you, lives in your neighborhood. Your neighbor is me. Your neighbor is every other person made in the Imago Dei image of God. Get it now. Every individual who has breath breathed in them is your neighbor. Therefore, your responsibility to ensure that they know the truth of Jesus Christ. End of story. And I will tell you this. If I didn't have a revelation of that, there is no way for 14 years that I would have pastored a campus. 95% of my young people look like this front row. They didn't look anything like me culturally. They didn't look anything like me spiritually. But sometimes when God calls you higher, you got to close your eyes to the things of the natural and you got to put your hand in God's hand and say, lead me, God. And for 14 years, I loved and served and pastored and married and did all kinds of things with kids who didn't look like me in the natural. But now I've got sons and daughters around this world who know how to fight a good fight of faith, who know how to stand on the truth of the gospel. There are going to be things in the natural that'll trip you up. Some of you got to close your eyes and say, God, you told me to walk by faith and not by sight. So let me walk this thing out in faith. I'm almost done. Listen, C.S. Lewis said this word. I need Christ, not something that resembles him. How many of you would say, amen, I need a real Jesus. I don't need Jesus to be my bro. I don't need Jesus to be my homie. I don't need Jesus to be my close friend. I need Jesus to show up in the midnight hour when my life is a mess, when depression is racking me, when I am considering ending my life because I don't think it's valuable enough. I need Jesus to walk with me when my family is denying him, when I'm struggling to stay in my faith, when my marriage is struggling, when my mental health is racking me. I need someone who can break through all of it. Can someone say amen? I need a God who can break through all of it, who can meet me in the midst of it. I don't need a counterfeit Jesus. I need the real Jesus. Listen, Abdul Murray said, many people have resisted the call to Christ, not because the answers are hard to find, but because they're hard to accept. It's not that you can't find answers. For those of you who are skeptics in the room, I've studied apologetics just like Dennis for this reason. Because I want to know when I've had hard questions, are faith and science compatible? When we ask those questions, There are a lot of people who have never been able to answer them. Some of you are deeply intellectual people. If God is real and good, then why do bad things happen to good people? Those are reasonable questions. But if we can't answer them, then we've got a challenge. Let me encourage somebody today, and I'm going to open this altar. Dalton, wherever Dalton is, I'm going to let Dalton play. Here's the reality. There is historical, anthropological, scientific, theological evidence for the person of Jesus Christ. 
If you go back in history, even people like Pliny the Younger, even individuals who were not Christians, people who were Jews and atheists, wrote about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. What does that tell you? That Jesus Christ was not afraid, nor was God afraid, to show himself and to leave fingerprints all over history and creation to say, if you've got a question, I've got an answer. Dear brothers and sisters, who does God say that we are? He says we're his children. We're the elect. We're a chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. He's given us a new name. I went from failure, mess. I went from broken, jacked up, friendless, hopeless, depressed, to a daughter of the most high God, full of fire, determined to preach his gospel to the ends of the earth, to see a generation on fire, equipped to go and get your friends, your families, your teams, Go and get them. Lay hands on them. If they're leaving in their last breath while you're waiting, you lay hands and say, oh God, in the name of Jesus, by the name of Jesus, get up. When your mind is racking you, say, I have a power, love, and a sound mind. You take authority over the devil and you take authority in the name of Jesus. Listen, I'm gonna open this altar because I know today there are people in this room fighting tooth and nail to survive. Some of you in this room are fighting for a loved one. Some of you are praying for some friends like I'm praying for friends. We have a niece that is strung out on fentanyl in the streets of Phoenix. We know what a battleground looks like, but I know what a savior looks like. So this altar is open. And I encourage you for the prayer, for those who are on the prayer team, come up here. I will stand right down here and meet you. But you need to loose yourself from that chair and you need to come down right here and you need to meet me at this altar. Don't leave this church in the same way you came in this church. If there is a battle that you're in, let us fight with you, not against you. Let us pray and believe and trust that God has got something for you. Come on, y'all, you gotta fight. This is a season of fighting, not against each other. This is a season of fighting with God for the purposes of God, for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God. God, meet us here at this altar. Do what only you can do. Move as only you can move. Amen. If there are some of you intercessors, stand with us. Believe God for the people who will come at this altar. If you don't want to come up here, then get wherever you're at. But how many of you know this is a ride or die season? This is a season where we don't have time to wait. This is a season where we're burying too many friends. I don't know about y'all, but I don't want to bury any more kids. I'm done burying friends. I'm done with eulogies. I want to see a Lazarus season. I want to see people rise up. I want to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. I believe God. I'm foolish enough to believe it. If I'm foolish enough to believe that the Vikings will win a Super Bowl, I can believe in Jesus. Y'all join us at this altar and let God do what only God can do. Amen.
Thank you for uh, responding to the Lord this morning. Thank you for praying and staying. Those of you in the in the pew still, we appreciate that. I feel like when God moving up here, He's moving in this whole room, and your prayers there are important. We're not going to end this time of prayer. If you continue to need prayer, want prayer, please come forward and don't hesitate. Appreciate Pastor Laurel and her word today is very inspiring, challenging. And it's something that, as she said, even Pastor Jeremy said it earlier, this is not something that ends today. It's We're in a battle and God, is, God has placed you in this world at this time for this season. Don't Do not forget that. You may seem and feel overwhelmed, but he's not. And he uses you. Whatever context you're in, whether it's your family or friends or school or neighbors, God has a plan for you, plan to use you to reach a very hurting world. I just want to pray over you so you can be dismissed, but please do not stop praying. If you want to continue to pray or stay in the seats and pray, you're welcome to do that. This service doesn't need to end that way. God, we're grateful for a challenge today grateful that you are a loving God who continues to pursue us, that you use us to pursue others. And Father, I pray that you would, as we answer that deep question, who is Jesus, that we continue to answer that for ourselves and for everybody who desperately needs to know him. We pray you help us as we go out and answer that question in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.